As Pastor Bruce continues in his Christmas series this morning, I invite you to turn and grab your Bibles for our scripture reading as he'll be using the passage from the book of Micah. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. If you do need a pew Bible, there is one in front of you. As Pastor Bruce continues the series, Vintage Christmas, Rediscovering the Timeless Hope of Jesus. And today's topic, O Little Town of Bethlehem, which we just sang. You can find uh, the passage, once again, in Micah chapter 5, verses verse 2 through the very beginning of verse 5. Please follow along as I read. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We just thank you for this time of year when we can remember the, the gift, the gift of sending your son to be born of a virgin, to live a life on earth, and to die on the cross for the sins of humanity. We just thank you for this season. We thank you for Pastor Bruce and his study of the scriptures and bringing this message to us. We thank you for the carols that we've sung and as we continue uh, in worship uh, throughout the rest of our day today that, uh, that you would just change our hearts and that we would learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, that is the message. That is the heartbeat of Christmas. And that is our response. Hopefully, that is your response to bow humbly bow in worship and adoration of the newborn king. And hopefully he is your king and your savior and your Lord. That is why we are here, to worship him. And so thank you, Becky and Alan. That is the Lankford family, along with their daughter, Lila. Beautiful, Lila. Thank you so much for using your gifts to lead us in worship. And I always enjoy it when Becky and Alan lead us in the Christmas carols of the season. So thank you for using your talents and your abilities to do just that. If you Google greatest cities in the world, you will come upon many, many lists that have been compiled as to what those great cities of the world are. In fact, you will find uh, at the top of the list, in not every order of this, but some where along the way that they say London is the greatest city in the world. Others might even say New York City. Others will have somewhere in their top ten cities of Tokyo or Rome or even Paris. And here's the thing, I have yet to find on that Google list of greatest cities in the world the little town of Bethlehem. You just won't find it. And so I challenge you, you can even do it now. Google greatest cities in the world, and Bethlehem will not be there. In fact, when Mark Twain visited the Holy Land back in the 1860s, he did not find Bethlehem to be impressive. In fact, he wrote later of its, quote, moldy domes and towers and scorned its noisy mob and leprous beggars. 
He said he was never so glad to get away from a place in his life. And yet, years later, he wrote to a fellow traveler on that trip that he was glad that he had been to Bethlehem and that it indeed had a special place to him because despite all of its shortcomings, he knew that our Savior had been born there. As we continue this morning in our Christmas series, Vintage Christmas, we're going to look at the the timeless hope of Jesus Christ in this little town of Bethlehem. And here's what we're going to see. If you're taking notes, you're welcome to fill in the blank here or just follow along on the screen behind me, that the hope of Jesus Christ comes as a great ruler from this little town of Bethlehem. Now today, the town of Bethlehem is a tourist attraction. In fact, they just opened their doors to tourists this year for the first time in two years. Because the last two years, as you know, we were in a pandemic with COVID. And Bethlehem basically shut, town, shut down its tourist uh, vitality of allowing people to come. But now their doors are open. The hotels are packed full, the reports say, of people coming to Bethlehem. Why? Because of the significance and the prominence of that's the place where Jesus was born. The only people, though, who wanted to visit Bethlehem when Jesus was born there were the shepherds and the wise men. No one went out of their way to visit Bethlehem when the prophet Micah uttered this prophecy 750 years before Jesus was born. But this little town that we know as Bethlehem is living proof that big things do come in small packages, making it one of the most famous towns in all the world. People sing about this town in the Christmas carol like we did this morning, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. So who is this prophet Micah, though? Well, Micah, as we already mentioned, he was a prophet of God. His name actually means who is like Yahweh. And of course, the answer to that question of his name, who is like Yahweh, is no one is. And that is the very message that Micah proclaimed to God's people in his day. Micah lived, though, in a time, in a culture, when God's people had turned away from their God. They were serving false gods. They were, they were living in sin, and they were not following the Lord, and they were now about to be judged for it. And so most of the prophecies that we read in this little book called Micah are about the judgment of God that was about to come upon them. Things were about to get pretty bleak in their land. But in the midst of these dark days, there was good news from Micah. Micah predicts that this great ruler was coming who would save them and save us from our sins and whose kingdom would never end. Look again at this hope of Jesus in Micah 5 in verse 2. Look at it again with me. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now let's stop here for a moment to make sure we're all on the same page and that we're crystal clear on the connection between 
this little town, we know it's Bethlehem, and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the connection is this. The religious leaders knew that Micah predicted the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. In fact, this prophecy of the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem is the most remarkable of Micah's predictions. Micah's prophecy was was so well known that when King Herod wanted to know the location of Jesus' birth, his royal scholars that he had around him referred to this prophecy without hesitation. In fact, you can fast forward, you can go to the Christmas story there in Matthew chapter 2 in the first six verses, which some of us are familiar with, says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, listen to what they told the king, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so even the religious leaders, when Jesus was born, they knew that this particular prediction, this prophecy of Micah, was a reference to the Messiah. And so they told King Herod, he will be born in this little town of Bethlehem. Now the interesting thing, about this reply is that in spite of their vast amount of knowledge of Micah's prediction, none of the religious leaders took time to investigate the Messiah's birth for themselves. Listen, of all the people in Israel, they themselves, they should have been overwhelmed by this news. They should have been excited about this. After all, Jesus was their their long-awaited Messiah. The wise men went to Bethlehem and found Jesus, but these religious leaders were so apathetic, so indifferent, they didn't even make the short trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. In fact, it's only about six miles, five to six miles south from where Jerusalem is to this little town of Bethlehem. But none of these religious leaders of Israel cared enough to go and find their newborn king. Now, this morning, I hope that is different for you and me. Let us here this morning, let us care enough to examine Micah's prediction about this great ruler who comes from this little town of Bethlehem. So notice the first point here. Bethlehem is a little town that is praised by God. It's a little town that is praised by God himself. Remember, Micah predicts the hope of a coming ruler against the backdrop of some very dark days. So where should God's people look for this hope of a coming ruler? And Micah answers in a way that is rather remarkable and wonderful. The people, he says, are not to look to the high hills of privilege and power, but rather they are to look to this little town in the country. 
Micah says in verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Now, Bethlehem was rather a remarkable place to bring forth a great ruler for the very reason of its insignificance. It's small. This is seen from Micah's need to tell us not only the name of the town, it's called what? Bethlehem. But he also tells us the name of the district of the town in which it resides, which is Epaphra. And so people would not confuse Bethlehem with another little town of Bethlehem in the same region. For example, if I told you that this week I'm traveling to Mound City, you might ask, Where in the world is Mound City? Because it's such an insignificant town. I would also need to tell you that I'm going to Mound City, Missouri, so you don't confuse it with Mound City, Kansas. But if I tell you, listen, I'm going to Houston to see my friends, I don't need to tell you the state that it resides in. Why? Because of the significance of the city of Houston. You know Houston is in what state? Texas, everybody does. Yes, horns down, Kim. But Bethlehem was so insignificant that Micah tells us the district of the town as well. Moreover, Micah tells us that the Bethlehem was so small that it wasn't even listed among the clans of Judah when God's people entered into the promised land. In fact, when Joshua allotted towns for the tribe of Judah, Bethlehem was so small even to be counted. In modern terms, Bethlehem was like a small town you drive through on your way to the Lake of the Ozarks. One of those towns like Tipton, Missouri, or Coal Camp. Anybody drive through Coal Camp before in their life? All right, a few of you, like all five of you. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's so small, you blink and you pass through it. But just because Bethlehem was little doesn't mean it was not praised by God. Listen, Bethlehem had great significance in the eyes of God. This is the first indicated by its name. Bethlehem, the name of that town, it means house of bread. So think of that with me. How fitting it is that Jesus, who later in the book of John would call himself the bread of life, would be born in a town by the name of bread of life. Bethlehem was also known as the city of David. It was in this little town that David's great-grandmother Ruth met David's future great-grandfather Boaz. It was in this little town that David's father Jesse was born. It was in this little town that David was a shepherd who kept watch over his flock and was later anointed by the prophet Samuel. But now God was saying that someone even more significant than King David was going to be born in this little town called Bethlehem, the Messiah, the Son of God himself. In fact, one commentator and pastor, James Boyce, says this, and I quote, Bethlehem was a small town among the many towns of Judah, but with a great history. And yet the history of Bethlehem was to become even greater, for it was out of Bethlehem that he who was to be a divine and everlasting ruler over Israel would come. And how this happened is nothing short of a miracle of God himself. Joseph 
the adopted father of Jesus. And Mary, his virgin mother, lived in what town? Nazareth, where Joseph was a carpenter by trade. And so the question becomes, how would Jesus now be born in Bethlehem as Micah predicted when Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth? Some of you know the answer to that. We go to Luke's version of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Listen to how it happened according to Luke 2 in the first seven verses there. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And so the reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem is because Caesar Augustus ordered a census to be taken. And you can believe one of two things about that. It was either coincidence or it was the providence of God. I believe that God orchestrated this census to bring about Jesus' birth in a little town named Bethlehem. Otherwise, he would have been born in Nazareth. And all of this sets the stage for the greatest praise gathering in the history of the world. A little town with divine praise. Notice this. The greatest praise gathering in the history of the world took place in the little town of Bethlehem the night Jesus was born. Think about this with me. Both heaven above and the earth below began to sing about the praises of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, there was the proclamation of the angel to the shepherds in Luke 2, verses 10 through 12, where the angel tells the shepherds, fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then we have the celebration by the majestic choir of angels in verses 13 and 14 where it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And last, there was the the adoration of this baby child, the Messiah, by the shepherds in verses 15 through 17 when it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. It's the Christmas story we're all familiar with. And yet the question becomes, so what? What difference does it make? I know I enjoy the season of Christmas. I enjoy the gifts, the family, the traditions that we create with family, 
putting up the Christmas tree and giving and receiving gifts. I, I enjoy singing the carols and the decorations, but what difference should it make in my life? What do we learn from all this? Especially from this little town of Bethlehem. Well, let me offer you three lessons from a town called Bethlehem. And the first of which is this. God always, always, always keeps his promises. Micah 5.2 reminds us that what God promises, he will do. What God plans to accomplish, he will bring to pass. Listen to me. If God kept his promise in the very first coming of Jesus, then we here this morning, we can be certain that God will keep his promise in regards to the second coming of Jesus Christ. This prophecy reminds us of the the certainty of God's word that we hold in our hands. He did not fail to send his son to redeem us. And let me tell you, God will not fail to send his son to receive us as well. And so let this prophecy in Micah be a reminder that God always, always, always keeps his promises. Number two, a second lesson we learn here is that God delights to use the unlikely to better display his glory. In choosing a little town like Bethlehem, we are to be reminded of how God works. God chooses the unlikely. He chooses the unworthy things in order to display his glory before the world. And so God chose a rather small, insignificant town, and he does something there that absolutely changes the course of history and eternity. Why? Because when God acts this way, you and I, we cannot boast in the merits of people, but only in the mercy of God. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world, And let me tell you, in that day and age, people would have thought a great ruler coming from Bethlehem was pretty foolish. But Paul says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despise things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And then in verse 31, it says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so God chose a stable so no innkeeper could boast. He chose the comfort of my inn. God chose a manger so no carpenter could boast. He chose the craftsmanship of my bed. And God chose Bethlehem so no one could boast. The greatness of our city is why Jesus was born here. You see, what was true in Bethlehem is true in our human hearts where Christ chooses to dwell. He comes not to the proud. He comes not to the self-righteous. Rather, he comes to sinners who are humble and broken before him. And so the deepest meaning that we find here of Bethlehem is that God does not bestow the blessings of his Messiah. That is the blessings of salvation on the basis of your greatness or my greatness or your merit or my merit or even in our achievement, let me tell you, 
No. We ought to be saying with the angels, glory to God in the highest. It is not glory to us. Rather, it is joy for us and to us, but it is glory to God. The third lesson from this little town is that the true hope of Christ's followers lies in God's grace. Listen, God did not choose Bethlehem because it was prestigious or because it was powerful. It wasn't. God chose to elevate this little town of Bethlehem simply because of his grace, even though it was undeserving. And we need to realize that this is exactly what God does with us too. We don't deserve to be saved. None of us do. We are sinners who deserve eternal death. And yet God, in His grace, chooses us. He draws us to Himself and convicts us of our sins and grants us the faith to to receive Jesus as our Savior and to be saved from our sins. And so the little town of Bethlehem, it stands before us as a reminder that our only hope lies in God's grace in our lives. So the first thing we learn in Micah's prophecy is that this hope that is revealed in this little town of Bethlehem, but the second thing we learn is that this hope is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The little town of Bethlehem is praised by God, but number two, Jesus is the great ruler promised by God. This was the hope. This was the good news Micah declared to his generation in verse 2, where he says, for Or from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not any, just any ruler. Jesus is a great ruler. As Micah declares at the end of verse 4, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this is specifically said by Micah in, in contrast to all the rulers or all the kings who ruled over Israel in past generations. You go through and you read the Old Testament and you read about those kings in the history of Israel and one thing stands out about all of them. They are flawed. They have great flaws. Great sin we read about in those kings over Israel. Great limitations. And while some of them were good kings, most of them were bad kings. Most of them were wicked. In fact, Israel's greatest king, who's none other than King David, fell miserably at times. And now the house of David was in shambles at this time of prophecy when Micah gave it. But Jesus here, he is the the promised king. He is the righteous king promised by God who is great in his divinity. He's great in his authority and great in his ministry. Notice these three things here in your notes. First of all, this promised ruler, Jesus Christ, is great in his divinity. Speaking of the Messiah, Micah writes at the end of verse 2, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Like, what does that phrase mean? What does that even mean? Well, that phrase reminds us that Jesus Christ, while he had a birth 
he had no beginning. And the distinction there is critical. In this phrase that Micah used, uses here, coming forth. Coming forth. It means place of origin. Coming forth, place of origin, it's, it's where you come from. So where do you come from? Some of you come from right here in Kansas City. You were born here in Kansas City. My wife was born here in Kansas City. She came forth from Kansas City. For me, that is, I came forth from Kiowa, Kansas. You're like, Kiowa, Kansas, never heard of it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's a small, podunk little town in the middle of Kansas, a farm community. I was born on December 4th, 1966 in Kiowa, Kansas, and so now I can stand here and proudly say I have come forth from a little town in Kansas. Look what Micah says about Jesus, though. He says, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. In other words, Jesus came from eternity. Yes, he would be born in this little town called Bethlehem, but his coming forth is from where? It's from eternity. Jesus did not come into existence in Bethlehem. He had already existed eternally with God the Father in heaven. And this is exactly what John said about Jesus in John's Gospel of chapter 1, verse 1, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. And then John tells us in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus Christ, this, this promised ruler by Micah, is great in His divinity. Yes, he, he had a birth, in Bethlehem, but he did not have a beginning. He was existed, and he has existed forever, and he will exist forever. That's how great this ruler is. This promised ruler is also great, though, in his ministry to us. Micah describes Jesus' ministry as this this shepherd savior in verse 4. When he writes, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. In other words, Micah says that God's people, and at this time in their history, they have been scattered. And they are about to be judged because of their sins. And Micah is saying that God's people who have been scattered and are about to be judged because of their sins, they will now be gathered and fed by Jesus one day like a shepherd gathers and feeds his sheep. Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, he says, listen, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus here, Mike has given us this glimpse that he is a shepherd savior who came the first time to redeem us from our sins. In the words of John, behold the lamb. Because he came to die. He came to be our sacrifice. 
In fact, the prophet Isaiah gives us hints of this. We see this when he writes in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, but he, speaking of Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, who? Jesus Christ, his son, the Savior shepherd on him, the iniquity, the sins of us all. And so the only hope for God's people, Israel, and the only hope for every sinner, every Gentile like us here today, is that God would do what? That he would send his own son to suffer the penalty for our sins. Micah tells us in the rest of verse 4, And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he, he shall be their peace. Not the, not the things we get for Christmas. Our peace isn't found in our, uh, our homes, our houses, what kind of car we drive. Our peace isn't found in, in our careers and how much money we make. We saw this last Sunday. He is our peace. And so the only hope, Israel's only hope, is that a new David would come in the strength of the Lord to shepherd them into green pastures. And we learn in the Gospels that Jesus is none other than that new David. He came to offer a security that scarcely can even be imagined today. The assurance of God's blessing through the forgiveness of our sins. Listen, this is the peace. It's real peace. It's lasting peace. It's eternal peace that God offers us through his ruler his son, the Savior, shepherd, Jesus Christ. And he offers that this peace is secured for us with his death on the cross and, and his resurrection from the grave. Micah describes it beautifully later on in his book. You turn over to chapter 7 and there, verses 18 and 19, he writes, who is a God like you? He's, he's looking up to the heavens. Who is a God like you? Who can give us this kind of hope, this kind of peace in the midst of our sinfulness and rebellion against you? When we didn't do anything to deserve this, you, you redeemed us out of the bondage of Israel. You gave us a new land, the promised land, and we turned away from you in our sinfulness. Who is a God like you, he says pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. Listen to this. He says he does not retain his power or his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Aren't you grateful for that? That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was born, and that's why he died, so that God could do that for you when you put your faith and trust in him. This is the work that Jesus came to do. Jesus was born to die on the cross so that everyone now who trusts in him, 
their sins are cast into the depths of the sea, and they now can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But we also learn here something else about this ruler, Jesus Christ. This promised ruler is also great in his authority. And so make no mistake about it, the one who was born in Bethlehem was sent by God to rule and reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's interesting when you read the Gospels, the Gospels being the first four books of the New Testament, we know them as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. And when you read through the Gospels, they're, they're centered on the life of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came the very first time, those Gospels record his life here on earth. And when Jesus came the first time, he demonstrated for the world to see his authority, his power over every area of reality. For example, you go to Matthew chapter 8 and 9, and we read there that Jesus healed a leper. It's a miracle. He then heals a centurion's son. He calmed a storm that was raging over the Sea of Galilee. He cast out demons. He healed a paralyzed man. And then he actually forgave his sins. Who has the power to do that? And all of this was done and recorded for us to demonstrate Jesus' authority, his, his power over disease and demons and death, his authority and power over sickness and storms, and most of all, our sin. And so when Jesus came the first time, he demonstrated his authority as this promised ruler from the Old Testament. And today, where is Jesus now? He's already come. He's been crucified, but he has been resurrected. And he now has ascended into heaven where he reigns and he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And let me tell you, one day, according to God's promises, this same ruler is coming again. Micah not only predicted the future birth of Jesus Christ, but he also predicted the future reign of Jesus Christ that is still to come. Jesus came the first time as our shepherd savior, but folks, he is coming back again as a shepherd king whose rule will extend to the ends of this earth. Just as Simeon, this old man with a song that we learned in our discovery hour. He looked forward. Oh, man, his one thing on his bucket list was to see this Christ child who was born. But today, we look forward to the coming of Israel's king. We know that what Micah predicted will surely come to pass Listen, Jesus Christ is coming again, and he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth and reign in righteous authority over all nations. The apostle John saw this day of which Micah spoke. John said in Revelation 19, 11 through 13, 
He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. That's who's coming back. That is what we look forward to. The return of this shepherd king. And so by all means, by all means, celebrate. Celebrate this week. In a week from today, celebrate with family and friends the birth of Jesus Christ that Micah predicted so long ago. Create your family traditions. Nothing wrong with any of that. Put up your tree, wrap the gifts, put them under there for your kids to open on Christmas morning, and then come and worship with your church family, I pray, at 1045. And so by all means, celebrate and enjoy the birth of Jesus that Micah predicted, but folks, also, also anticipate his coming again as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is what we look forward to. One day, Jesus, this this promised ruler, will return in the great Christmas carol, Joy to the World, will finally be fulfilled. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love. Micah's prophecy points us not so much to this little town of Bethlehem, but rather he points us to this great ruler who was born there and is now coming back to rule and reign. Which means the most important question that you and I can ask this morning is not, what are you doing for Christmas? It's not even where you're spending Christmas. And it's not even what you are getting for Christmas. The most important question you can answer this Christmas is this. Is Jesus your ruler? Listen, the issue is not merely whether Jesus is a great ruler over Israel. But whether Jesus is a great ruler over your life. Because he is your savior, king. And so, have you bowed your knee to him in worship and confessed him as your king? In other words, we might frame the question this way. Will Jesus rule as your coming king because you have trusted him as your Savior and Lord? Or will Jesus rule as your coming judge because you have rejected his rule in your life now. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, that is Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So have you? 
Will you? Are you bowing your knee to Jesus and confessing Him as your Savior and serving Him as your King? Listen, Jesus came to save you from your sins and give you peace with God. But we must respond to it. You say, how do I respond? We respond by faith. We respond by acknowledging, I am a sinner who needs a Savior, and I cannot save myself. I need this Jesus, this great ruler. Because so far, ruling my life is getting me nowhere. I am coming up empty, being the ruler of my life. It's only leading me down a path of sin and turmoil and chaos and, yes, some temporary happiness here and there. But in the end, ruling your life will lead you to a place called hell. Judgment by the coming king. But when we bow the knee, when we surrender and acknowledge in repentance of our sin, I need Jesus. Be my Savior. Be my King. I receive you in faith. Please forgive me. All of a sudden, it changes our lives. In fact, Jesus says, he describes it to us, we are born again. We are ushered into the family of God. We are now his adopted sons and daughters for all eternity, and nothing can take that away from us. It's a beautiful thing what Jesus has come to do for you and I. The question is, have you responded to it? Have you received this beautiful gift of Jesus Christ as your Savior and King? Will you bow your heads? Oh, our Heavenly Father, there is no greater gift that could be given or received in this Christmas season than peace with you. You have promised this peace in a ruler who was born in Bethlehem. And so now we even ask, we pray, Lord, that you would grant us faith to trust him as our Savior and receive him as our King so that we would find salvation and peace for all eternity. And perhaps even now there is one or two or even more that, Lord, you are tugging at their heart. You are speaking to them by the power of your spirit and word and impressing upon them and drawing them to you. Lord, would you, would you grant them faith to believe and even now in the quietness of their heart, would they, would they cry out to receive you as their Savior King, asking you to forgive them of their sins and to save them. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.